But if you're joining us this morning, whether online or here in person, uh, you're joining us in the midst of a series on spiritual warfare. We're looking at the armor of God that Paul speaks of in Ephesians chapter 6. And this morning, our text that we're going to read together is Ephesians 6, 10 to 15. 10 to 15. If you don't have it in front of you, it'll be on the screen behind me so you can follow along there. Paul in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, authorities, and against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all, to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. This is God's word. Listen, yesterday, it's a pleasure being a dad, right? Uh, It really is, most days. Um, And those of your parents, you understand what I'm talking about, right? Um, it's a pleasure being a father to my two children, and there are moments in which it can be wheels off crazy, and moments where it can be melt in your mouth sweet, okay? And I had one of those moments yesterday with my daughter where uh, we did a little daddy-daughter date, okay? So we went on a little shopping spree uh, to Claire's, okay? And, and didn't rush her in Claire's, right? Um, she's used to her brother rushing her everywhere she goes shopping, uh, but didn't rush her. She picked out a few things. We went and got some sweet frog, had some good conversation about where real beauty lies in the heart. Uh, it was a sweet time, but as we were getting ready to go on our little excursion, she was trying to decide what shoes she wanted to put on. And so she's there, this, this, it's, it's, the struggle is real, right? For those of you who are uh, parents of daughters, okay? Right? And so she's, she's, she's like, hey, should I wear these shoes? Or these, Daddy, should I wear these shoes or these shoes? Which ones would be cutest with this outfit that I have on? And I'm like, baby... You're asking the wrong person, okay? Right, because I'm not the expert on shoes. Right, so I said, just grab some flip-flops and let's go. And so she threw on her sliders and we went out the door. But listen, in our particular culture, oftentimes shoes are a fashion accessory. They're used to accessorize or complement particular outfits. Right, and so when you go into a woman's closet in particular, right, you might find a whole rack of shoes because there's got to be a shoe for every particular outfit that they may wear. And yet this piece of armor that Paul mentions here in this text as the shoes that we are to lace up, he's talking not about a fashionable pair of shoes, but a functional pair of shoes. Because if we're to stand our ground, which we've said already in this series, that that's the commanding verb in this text to stand, to stand firm, to stand your ground against the advances and the attacks of the enemy because the battle is real and it is raging even though it may be unseen. And if you're going to stand your ground against the enemy, you've got to learn to lace up these shoes that Paul speaks of, of readiness that's given by the Gospel of peace. Now listen, we're going to look at readiness in a bit, but I want to start by taking a look at this, what Paul means by the Gospel of peace. The gospel of peace. Listen, the gospel essentially is this. It's the good news. That's literally what that word means in the Greek language. It means good news. And the gospel is the good news of Jesus' life and death and resurrection and ascension and return. 
Okay, that Jesus came and He lived the life that I couldn't. And then Jesus was crucified on the cross to die the death that I deserve. And that God raised Him by His power from the grave. And that Jesus ascended into heaven where He's now seated at God's right hand waiting for the Father to turn to Him one day in the future and say, it's go time so that Jesus would return, vanquish all of His enemies to renew and restore all of creation. That's the Gospel. And Paul says here that this good news of what Jesus has done and will do, ultimately has the power to produce peace in our lives. It has the power to produce peace. And this peace that it has the power to produce, let me see if I can illustrate it for you this way, is a harmony. It is a harmony. Literally that word that Paul uses in the text here literally means that a, a harmony between two parties. Okay? Now listen, whenever you listen to good music, if you were standing up here listening to me sing earlier, you were not listening to good music, okay? You were listening to maybe a joyful noise, but not a very pretty one. But whenever you listen to good music and you have two vocalists who are singing together, right, oftentimes one will be singing the melody and the other will be singing a harmony. And whenever those two vocalists, or their voices are working together, not competing against each other, not conflicting with each other, but whenever they're complementing each other, there is a beautiful beautiful sound that comes out whenever you have the melody and the harmony working together. Those two voices are not conflicting and competing, but cooperating and complementing each other. And that's the idea Paul is working with here when he's speaking of this good news of Jesus that has the power to produce this kind of harmony in our lives. It's something of beauty something that's majestic, something that's glorious, something that is incomparable. And this type of peace, or the, the peace that it produces, listen, I want you to know something this morning, it's a three-part harmony, okay? We had two-part harmony on stage today, but it's a three-part harmony. And the three parts of this harmony are this, peace is vertical, it is internal, and it is horizontal. It's vertical, Internal and horizontal. So this peace produces a harmony in our relationships vertically with God, internally to ourselves, and horizontally with others. Let's look at that real quick. Vertically, this vertical peace is a harmony between us and God. Now listen, things weren't always this way for us. Because we were not bo born as those who had harmony with God. Okay? Listen, every single one of us was born as rebels with a cause. Okay, And our cause was to run and rule our own lives. To be our own God. To call our own shots. To manage our own lives and determine our own destinies. We came out of the womb with hearts that were bent and broken towards sin and self. And from the time that we could breathe, we were firing shot after shot after shot after shot at God. And the result of that sin is that we who were created in the image of God find ourselves estranged from Him. There's not harmony between us and God on account of our natural birth. There's only harmony between us and God on account of the second birth, the new birth that the Bible speaks of. Because our natural birth, we're born separated from Him. Listen to how Paul describes it earlier in the book of Ephesians. In Ephesians 2, 1-3, listen to what he says. And you, speaking to the Ephesian Christians, were at one time, in other words, before you met Jesus, before God saved you, you were dead in the trespasses 
and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. You don't usually see that verse written on like a live-edge piece of wood and hanging in somebody's kitchen, right? It's not a very encouraging description, but it is our natural state that we were subject to God's wrath against sin because we carried out the passions of our flesh, the desires of our body. We did what we want, when we wanted it, with whom we wanted it, and how we wanted it. And that's the course of life that we lived before God saved us. But Paul goes on in Ephesians 2, 4-5 and says this in the very next verses, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And when God does this work of saving us by His grace through faith in Jesus... Paul describes it elsewhere as us having been justified. We talked about that a little bit last week, this positional righteousness, as we talked about the breastplate of righteousness. But being justified, and listen to what Paul says in Romans 5.1, Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. See, the Gospel is not, hey, you just try really hard to be a really good person and then God will take all of your misguided efforts and work those things out and at the end of life right if all your good stuff outweighs all your bad stuff right you just be a good moral person that's not the gospel that's something else okay that's in a lot of churches but it's not the gospel the gospel is you were dead God made you alive supernaturally causing you to be born again made you right with Him on account of what Christ has done and put you at peace with Himself. Because when it comes to vertical peace, listen church, you can either try to produce it yourself or you can enter into the peace that's already been produced. Listen to what one old evangelist, Dwight Moody, said. He said, a great many people are trying to make peace, but that has already been done. God has not left it for us to do. All we have to do is enter into it. Making peace with God. People talk about, right? We hear them come to the end of their lives and say, I've got to make peace with God. Listen, making peace with God always depends upon something you do. Always depends upon something that you do. But entering into peace with God is always dependent upon something that He's done. This peace is vertical in our relationship to God. Second of all, it's internal. Listen, it's a new relationship, harmonious relationship to ourselves, our own hearts and minds. Paul speaks of this type of peace in Philippians chapter 4. Listen to what he says in Philippians 4, 4 and following. He says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, the peace which God provides, which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. 
what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Now, listen, in Philippians chapter four, verse six, Paul commands us, he says, do not be anxious about anything, right? Don't be anxious. Now, it's interesting because that word for anxiety there in the Greek text, it literally means the opposite of this internal peace because the word literally means to be divided or to be torn into pieces. Like if you took a sheet of paper and you just ripped it from top to bottom. That's what the word anxiety Paul uses in the text means there, to be torn into pieces. Because that's what anxiety feels like, doesn't it? When you're struggling with worry or anxiety, it feels like internally that you're just being ripped apart. When, our, when concern just consumes you, it feels like things are unraveling at the seams that you're being torn into pieces. So what Paul's literally saying is this, listen, don't let anything tear you into pieces internally. Don't let death or disease tear you into pieces. Don't let suffering or sickness tear you into pieces. Don't let your marital status or a disengaged spouse tear you into pieces. Don't let an election cycle tear you into pieces. Okay, church, don't let the turbulent past, the stormy present, or a cloudy future tear you into pieces because God Himself is able to hold you together and give you peace and keep you from being torn apart because God will provide a peace that functions like a windbreak for your soul. Have you ever driven across the I-30 bridge on a day in which a big massive cold front's coming through? As you drive across that bridge, those winds begin to howl out of the north. And you can feel them almost blowing your car into the next lane, right? Because there's like 30 mile an hour winds that are just raging. And as that wind blows over the course of that lake, what it begins to do is it begins to create waves that begin to pound against those rocks on the north face of the bridge. But if you look to the south face of the bridge, just on the other side, what do you see? It's this calm water without a ripple on it. Why? Because there's a windbreak there. That no matter how hard that wind blows from this direction, on the other side of it, there is calm. This is turbulent and turbid water over here. This is calm and tranquil water over here. And the peace that God provides internally to us in the midst of the storms raging around us is like a windbreak for our souls. So no matter how hard the wind is blowing outside, inside, Our soul can be like a weaned child. This is internal peace, and we're going to talk about how we get that in a little bit. The third harmony here is a horizontal one. See, this inner calm produces an outer stability. Horizontal peace is a harmony in the context of our relationships with other people. Now listen, I want you to understand something. Each each type of peace here is dependent upon the previous. Okay? Right? The only way you have that internal peace is if you have this vertical peace with God. Okay? You have vertical, this peace with God that He has made for you by what He's done. And out of the result of that, there is this internal calm in the midst of all the storms as they rage around us. And no matter, and because there's a sense of calm and a wholeness and tranquility inside, then in our relationship with others, we're able to have peace. Externally, there's a stability. When you have a harmony of heart and mind, you'll have relational harmony with others. That's why in Romans 12, 18, Paul admonishes us, if possible, so far as it depends on you, do what? Live peaceably with all. 
Or the author of Hebrews says in Hebrews 12, 14, strive for peace with everyone. In the context of your relationships, there ought to be peace and harmony. Okay? The opposite of this horizontal harmony is hostility with others. And this is so important because, listen, church, you cannot express what you have not experienced. So you will not have horizontal harmony without an internal harmony of heart and mind. And you will not have an internal harmony of heart and mind without a vertical harmony now between you and God. They are dependent upon the other. And those who have not experienced this internal peace cannot express horizontal peace. And what happens is, one of the ways you know that there's, there's... there's not a windbreak for their soul in the midst of all the storms that are raging around them, right? Or even within them is because they are often people who are the sources of drama and contention and strife. And there's all kind, they're always stirring something up, whether it be face to face or online. It got real quiet, right? There's always some kind of drama that's being stirred up by them. I see it in the lives of my children and their friends. I see it in the lives of my family. I see it in the lives of my friends. I see it at times in my own life. But God has afforded it to us. This three-part harmony. Vertical, internal, and horizontal. And So what does this peace do for us? This this, this piece of armor that God's provided, what does the peace do for us? Listen, peace gives us sure footing on rough ground. It gives us sure footing on rough ground. Notice what we are to put on our feet. In verse 15, Paul says the shoes for this battle are readiness given by the gospel of peace. The good news of Jesus' life, death, resurrection, and return that possesses the power to produce peace with God within ourselves and in our relations with others, it gives us a readiness. The shoes, listen, church, The shoes are readiness. That's what he says they are. That readiness comes from something, but the shoes are a supernatural readiness. But a readiness for what? I think it's a readiness for anything that comes our way. You know, when you go shopping for shoes, right? You you buy a different pair of shoes for different applications, don't you? So if you're going mountain climbing, you wouldn't buy a pair of ballet shoes. At least I hope you wouldn't, <laughs> right? You're going to be in trouble. Okay, so you don't wear ballet shoes to climb a mountain. You don't wear boots to go run a marathon. Okay, that's going to get old real fast. You know what I'm saying? Ladies, right, you wouldn't wear a pair of six-inch heels to go do yard work. Some of you are like, I don't wear six-inch heels to do anything. Right, each type of shoe has a different application, but I want you to know the shoes that God affords us Right, have the power to give us sure footing on every imaginable ground. Whether it's slippery, whether it's rocky, whether it's icy, whether it's rough, whether it is muddy. It gives us sure footing as we try to stand our ground against the advances of the enemy, no matter what that ground is like underneath our feet. No matter what it's like. So as we think about this readiness, being ready for anything that comes our way, listen, if we're to stand our ground, we're going to be ready for anything the enemy throws at us. Now, let me just say something. Most, most spiritual warfare is not a horror movie. Okay? You know what I mean by that? 
that most spiritual warfare is not like somebody's head spinning around on their shoulders. Okay? Most spiritual warfare is not like going to your uncle's house and it's creepy and haunted, right? Most spiritual warfare is not you laying in bed at night and waking up in the middle of the night and all of a sudden there's like this presence on top of you that you can't move and you whisper Jesus and it flees and you get up and go about. Most spiritual warfare is not. I'm not saying that that never happens. What I'm saying is most spiritual warfare is not like that. But because the enemy uses much subtler approaches against us than those. Remember we said at the very outset of this series that most, much of the spiritual warfare takes place where? In the context of relationships. That's why Paul gets to Ephesians 6.10 and says, finally, let me draw to a close all the things I've been saying to you and everything, if you back up, all the way back into chapter 3, it's been about relationships within the church, relationships within the family. He's been talking about how you interact with people because much of spiritual warfare takes place there in the context of our relationships. And listen, that's where the enemy oftentimes does his work in our relationship. He tries to make us question our relationship to God. He tries to make us question. As we've said before, he reminds us, right? Last week we said he calls to our our mind attention, right? Remember the things that you've done. I told you last week, whenever he says remember, you say right back to him, no, you remember who's carried my shame away. You missed that, go back and listen. I'm not going to preach it again. But listen, he wants to make you question your peace with God and, and make you think it depends upon your work and not Jesus. He wants to aim to tear you to pieces internally through the turbulence in your life. Because there's going to be turbulent times in your life. And Satan, wants, what he wants to do is to create anxiety in you that would tear you to shreds. It would run you through like a paper shredder where you come out on the other end all misconstrued and mangled. That's what He wants to produce internally in you while God wants to produce a wholeness in you. He's working against that. He wants to drive a wedge into our relationships between husbands and wives, between children and parents, between members of churches, between people of different backgrounds, ethnicities, or skin colors. What he wants to do is to create strife and division. He wants people to be slandering others. He wants people to be gossiping about each other. The devil's in all of that. All of it. Trying to work against the harmony that God has purchased and provided through the gospel. And so we need this readiness to be prepared for anything that he's going to throw at us in the context of these relationships, a relationship with God, a relationship to ourselves internally and a relationship with other people externally or horizontally. All right. So how do we how do we put on these shoes? That's what I want to spend the rest of our time doing this morning is giving you two things. Okay, how do we put on these shoes? First of all, and I'll, I'll just say them together and we'll come back and unpack them. You've got to expect pain and enjoy peace. Expect pain and enjoy peace. Listen, church, I want you to recognize the fact that disappointment and disillusionment in our lives is the result of the gap between our expectations and reality. That's where all of your disappointment comes from. That's where all of your disillusionment comes from. It's between that gap between what you expected to happen and what actually happened. Between your expectations and 
the reality that you experience. And one way the devil assaults us is to try to create assumptions for us that we will not experience pain, that we will not experience suffering if we obey and love God. Or if we are loved by God, then He would not allow that pain to come into our lives. In fact, I've heard this from people recently. I've heard people say, well, maybe this wouldn't have happened had I read the Bible. Or maybe this wouldn't have happened had I gone to church. Right? People losing homes. People losing their, 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 their lives. And thinking somehow that if they had taken the Bible out of the dresser drawer and put it on the nightstand and read it every night, then that wouldn't have happened. What that reveals, there's an underlying assumption that God works kind of like the IRS. Okay, so if I pay my taxes and I file on time and I take all my deductions and count all my credits, then I will get a refund, right? So I pay in, they pay out, right? And we believe there's, in most of our hearts, there's an underlying expectation that that's how God operates. That if I love and obey God, then good things are going to happen to me. My life will be relatively easy and free from pain. But listen, over and over and over again in the Bible, we're told to expect there to be trials. We're told to expect there to be affliction. Expect there to be hardships. Expect there to be suffering. We're never told Never told to expect that there won't be those things in our lives. Over and over again, the Bible's preparing us for it, telling us to expect it. So listen, we've got to expect that there's going to be a level or degree of suffering, hardship, turmoil, and pain in this life that comes from living in a broken and fallen world that is tamed, stained, stained and tainted by sin. It's reality, church. You're going to have heartbreak. And it's going to hurt deeply. At times, because of your sin. At times, because of other people's sin in your lives. At times, just because we live in a fallen world. And the consequences of creation not being full and whole and healed like it will be one day. And like it was at one point. We're all going to experience those heartaches. And so if we learn to expect that they're coming, then we don't give the devil a foothold to try to wedge himself in there and say, see, see, if you had only done a little bit better, God would have given you something better. So expect pain. But even in the midst of that pain, church, I want you to know you can enjoy peace. You can enjoy peace. And if you're going to enjoy peace, First of all, you've got to turn away from these false sources of peace that you've been looking to to bring harmony in your life. Listen, I can remember growing up as a child listening to old school country on the cassette player in my parents' vehicles. as We drove to and from. I don't know, some of you kids are like, what's a cassette, right? That'd be a lesson for another day. Listen, on the cassette player, I can remember listening to Johnny Lee Sing these words. I've been looking for love in all the wrong places. Looking for love in too many faces. And listen, there are some of us who are looking for peace in the same way. In all the wrong places. We look for peace in our possessions. We look for peace in our appearance. 
If we can just maintain appearances before people. If we can just acquire and achieve certain things, reach certain levels, have certain promotions or positions, that will make us whole. That will give us uh, the harmony that we've been looking for internally. That will make us feel good about ourselves. We've been looking for peace in substances or experiences. Listen, I want you to know that you may be able to escape to the remotest island in the world that has that bluish green water, that has white sand, I mean palm trees, little umbrella drinks, all the stuff, right? But ultimately, without an internal peace that only God can give and a vertical peace of being made right with Him, all you've got is a relaxing destination. That's all you've got. Some people are trying to pursue peace. They're trying to pursue peace in an ignorant fashion. Right? Kind of like Zach Brown sings, right? I put my toes in the water and my posterior in the sand. Okay? Not a worry in the world. Cold drink in my hand. I want you to know whenever you return home from that location, you walk right back into all of the mess that you left behind. If if there's not an internal calm in your soul because of the vertical peace that you have with God. So you've got to turn away from looking at it for peace anywhere other than in God Himself. And second of all, you've got to turn to Him. Right, the way that you have vertical peace with God, listen church, is by turning to the One who was torn into pieces for you. Listen to what the uh, uh, prophet Isaiah says in Isaiah 53. Surely He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed Him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him was a chastisement that brought us peace. By His wounds we are healed. You will find vertical peace in no other way. You, listen, I've, I've, used this, I've said this many times before that whenever you come to God looking for a relationship to Him, you don't come with your hands full, but you come with them empty. saying, Not saying, God, look at all the things that I've done, but God, I have nothing to offer you. You have everything to offer me. There, I cannot make my way up the stairs to you, but I'm dependent upon you to come down the stairs to me and raise me up from the dead. Because the chastisement that brought us peace was laid upon Jesus. He was ripped and torn into pieces for us so that you don't have to be torn into pieces whenever things arise in your life because of a vertical relationship with Him and a new internal relationship to yourself where all your anxiety is being laid on Him. And I don't know if I'm talking to anybody this morning, but I'm going to keep going. Right? One, one other thing. Last thing I'll say is this. If you're going to experience this peace and enjoy it, not only do you have to turn away from false sources of it and turn to the one true source, the living God, but you have to turn your mind on instead of off. Let's go back to Philippians chapter 4 and listen to what Paul had to say. In verse 8, Paul instructs us to think about what we believe in relationship to our circumstances and situations. He says, Finally, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is just, whatever is excellent, whatever is worthy of praise, think, dwell on these things. Listen, there is an ignorant peace, but there's also an informed peace. If you're going to have peace and be ready to take on anything the enemy throws at you, all the complexities and difficulties of life, you have to process through the lens of your Christian faith by turning your mind on. 
rather than turning it off. You have to process everything through what you believe. Right, for instance, take for instance the basic framework of the Bible, creation, fall, redemption, restoration, which tells us that when something happens in your life, you're not a product of chance. That God has purpose in it. That people will sin against you and you will sin against them. That the one who created you loves you enough to redeem you and one day you'll be united to Him forever. So no matter what you face here, you have hope for there. Listen, you turn your mind on and begin to think through the truths and the realities that are bigger than what you see and face on a day-to-day basis. And you begin to think through those things. So turn your mind on. Don't shut it off. Oftentimes, whenever we are faced with difficulties in life, and Satan wants to hijack those things to create anxiety and tear us apart, what we often do is we just try to turn our empty our minds. We try to turn our minds off. We don't want to think about it. We don't want to talk about it. We want to bottle it all up and shove it all down. But that is not at all how the Bible tells us to handle it. It says, no, you have to turn your mind on and think through the realities that are bigger than what you see today. The realities that are bigger than what you're facing, that are bigger than the heartache that you're experiencing, that are greater than the turbulence that you're enduring at this time. You've got to turn your mind on and not off. You don't shut it down. You fire it up and you begin to think and preach to yourself the truths of who God is and who you are. But Paul also says in that text that not only do you turn your mind on, but you pray with thanksgiving. Listen, in verse 6 of Philippians chapter 4, Paul instructs us in the midst of every circumstance and situation to pray with thanksgiving. Listen, conservative religion will tell you to stuff your feelings, right? Because you shouldn't feel that way. You shouldn't have those emotions, right? Very legalistic type religions will tell you to stuff your feelings. Liberal psychology will tell you just to spew your feelings all over everybody and anyone who's around you. But listen, the Bible will tell you to pray your feelings. Pray your emotions before God. And Paul tells us to pray with thanksgiving, not once our requests are answered, but as they are being submitted. And the only way that you can pray that way, church, listen, and I've said it before and I'll say it again this morning, is if you understand that God will give you whatever you ask for in prayer, or He will give you whatever you would have asked for if you knew everything that He knows. If you knew everything that God knows, there'd be some things you wouldn't have prayed for. If you knew everything that God knows, there are some petitions that wouldn't have gone up. Because He will give you whatever you ask for or whatever you would have asked for if you knew all this was going to unfold. I know there were things that I prayed for and sought desperately that did not come to pass in my life that looking back now, I give thanks for. Which leads me even today that whenever I bring a petition, pray with thanksgiving. Turn away from false sources of peace and turn toward the one true and living God who was torn into pieces for you so that you could be whole in Him. Are you ready? In the midst of the storms raging around us because we have a windbreak for our soul because we've turned our minds on and we've prayed with thanksgiving. Put all of our requests and petitions before you. All of our emotions, all of our hearts laid bare before you.
And that, God, that, that would overflow into our lives and relationships in ways that would cause the world to look on in the midst of all the strife and division and say, how in the world can you be at peace? And Father, I pray that we'd be prepared to give an answer for the reason, for the hope that is in us in those moments, and we would point them back to you who's able, who's able to justify them you who is able to save them by your grace and bring peace to their lives. May you make us a church that is ready, lacing up our shoes every day. We pray in Christ's name.